Hello, everyone. Doug Farrar, NFL editor for Touchdown Wire, USA Today, USA Today Sports Media Group, uh, along with Mark Schofield, our five-tool guy. And Mark, we took yesterday off. Uh, as I was telling you, pre-show, I watched the Eagles documentary, the Eagles band, not the Philadelphia Eagles documentary, and took about three naps because I was just, as they say in Texas, rode hard and put away wet. How are you doing, buddy? I'm in a similar boat. Um, you know, we're, we're happy to be at the end of the cycle. It was a fantastic draft season. Um, put, put together some great coverage here over at TD Wire. And now we can sort of start to figure out, okay, now these teams have made picks. They've made selections. There's no more guesswork. There's no more smoke screens. There's no more speculation. How are these guys going to fit in with what they do schematically, conceptually, and all that good fun stuff? And that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks starting today. Yep. I did a uh, piece on how J.C. Horn can eradicate the Panthers' man coverage issues, which are legion. And it's why he was the first cornerback taken overall. We won today on Asante Samuel and cover six in Brandon's daily scheme. Oh, boy. Brandon, Brandon likes to put too high and make you think. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that's fascinating from Asante Samuel's perspective because it kind of speaks to his versatility because – Sometimes they'll have to play off, cover four, off coverage, you know, click and drive on route. Sometimes they'll have to be down in that hard cloud corner alignment if you're doing cover, you know, two covers, cover six stuff, you know, that blend of two and four, um, where he'll be in that hard, you know, cloud corner alignment, like reading from one to two and trapping and things like that. So that should be an interesting piece. Well, he's he's a completely different physical type than Jalen Ramsey, but Jalen was all, he was a lot, he was kind of the robber cover six he was underneath you know slot and he would just you know wave under maybe asante plays more the darius williams role um but he was the best cover six corner in this class that supports info solution stats um and then you can watch the tape and it's like yeah he had two picks at a cover six he just that, that poor virginia quarterback that did yeah. not go well for him um yeah heck of a player and uh i know on this podcast this is our, our draft recap um, I have a lot of my guys that were, I think, value picks at second round and down. Um, and I asked you for yours. So we'll get into that. I want to start with a QB gauntlet for you. You're a QB guy. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, the Zach Wilson, the I don't think anyone really questioned whether that would happen. I put Justin Fields to the Jets in my last mock just to throw a curve, but we kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, I want to read you a quote. From Peter King's uh, Football Morning in America column today from Kyle Shanahan. And we'll, we'll start there with Trey Lance going to the 49ers at three and, you know, trading two future first round picks to move up from 12 to three to get this guy. Uh, Shanahan told Peter King, I've always been intrigued when you can have a guy make the defense play 11 on 11. It just slows down the game a little bit. You cannot have a guy that only makes him worry about the run. It's just a matter of time before that becomes pretty easy to contain and that's not built to last. You've got to have a guy that can do both. Okay. If that's what Kyle Shanahan believes, it was never Mac Jones. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that quote is sort of in line with what a lot of people have been thinking about the quarterback position, particularly with the Mac Jones discussion, you know, in, in this day and age, a quarterback that can run and throw is a beneficial asset for an offense because of that reason, because it's almost play. necessary. It's not yeah, because it's necessary. When you yeah. have so many blitzes and not sorry to interrupt, but so many blitzes, so many different ways to get to the quarterback. If you can't make second reaction throws and you're not Tom Brady, let's just throw that out. Well, Tom Brady can do it. Yeah. Tom Brady. Come on. Stop. Right. You know, and 
if you think about the way defenses are trying to defend teams right now, and you know, mentioned Brandon Staley showing too high to get you to run the football because running's not as efficient as throwing. Well, if you're going to have to run the football, having a quarterback that can run lets you, like Shanahan said, play 11 on 11. And so that's a massive bonus for an offense. And then it also, like you mentioned, with the sort of how you respond and handle to pr- handle pressure, that ability to make those second reaction throws, the ability to escape, to extend. And also there's another aspect of quarterback mobility that I do think is critical, and that's it gives you more time to figure things out, both on a down-to-down basis and an overall basis. Like if you're – able to move out of the pocket to extend plays it gives you more time to read the defense and so if you're struggling with that as many rookies do because the nfl game is just faster the ability to move and extend is going to give you a bigger window on a single play and just overall in terms of making the right reads and decisions with the football well i would argue that having that second re- and by second reaction ability we're defining it as moving outside the pocket after the first idea breaks down now it's your idea it's not just it, 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 it exploits the coverage. It allows the quarterback to sort of define the coverage because if you have those, you know, out of structure routes timed with your, I remember talking to Doug Baldwin about this years ago with Russell Wilson and, you know, Dougie and Russell, they had it locked in, right? Okay. Russ breaks the pocket. I do this. And it's like a different kind of option route. At that point, you can kind of define the coverage, but, but beyond that with Trey Lance, I know you did a thing, um, what was it two months ago on why Trey Lance would be a perfect fit for? We're gonna have to repost that today because that was great. And yeah. here's you know, Trey Lance doing Y throwback, which is like the staple concept in, in Shanahan's playbook under center, fullback, wham, trap. Hello, this yeah. was a natural fit from day one. Yeah, and you know, I, I would, I was telling people before the draft that if you want to get a flavor of what that could look like, just go to coachtube.com, there's a 49.99 clinic with NDSU's offensive coordinator talking about how they involve the fullback and the tight end of the passing game. And he's breaking down Trey Lance film. And you can sort of close your eyes, listen to it and start thinking Kyle Juszczyk in the flat trade, you know, George Kittle on sale routes, deep out routes, crossing routes, obviously wide throwback. We know it's a wide leak, a Shanahan staple. I mean, the fit made a ton of sense to me before the draft. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the Mac Jones discussion started when people looked at some of the quarterbacks that Shanahan had coached with in the past and thought that would be the kind of player that he would prefer. But quotes like that that you had at the top of both the run, some of his postgame comments when they lost to Buffalo last year, when he I talked want, about yes, the I athleticism of the quarterback position, I want that yeah, guy. I'm tired of this crap. I want yeah, that. I mean, I think a lot – if you really sort of dug into things a little bit, you would the more you did, the more you would realize that, like – Trey Lance is probably what they're going for when they came up to three because of the, the, and the main way I'll put it is this Mac Jones. Can he run Kyle Shanahan's playbook? Yeah. Can Trey Lance transcend it? Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And that's what you draft at three. I think my argument with Mac Jones to San Francisco was always, could he run parts of Kyle Shanahan's offense? Yes. But Kyle Shanahan would have to take chapters out and they would never go back in. Right. And the uh, I'll, I don't want to get into the Mac Jones, Kirk Cousins comparisons. Yeah, I was they were ridiculous because Kirk Cousins is one of the most efficient and frequent boot passers in the NFL. Mac Jones doesn't run boot. The comparison falls apart right there. I think a lot of people were tying themselves in knots to try and make Mac Jones into a thing. I mean, yeah. we'll talk about this next. Bill Belichick is apparently one of them. Right. So let's let's move to that because. This is a team that hasn't run boot in 20 years, hasn't had to. 
didn't really, I mean, the, the, the run game, the QB run game with Cam Newton last year was vanilla. We discussed that in season. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I look at Mac Jones, I see it. I, I'm looking at, oh my God, Devontae Smith just destroyed this guy. Jalen Wild just, you know, destroyed this guy. I mean, we talk about his decision-making. I would say that 30 to 40% of Mac Jones' touchdowns last year, the math was wait for your future top 10 receiver to beat the crap out of this cornerback who's just humiliated. Um, I, you know, and I, you're a quarterback guy. You may, you may see it differently. And I respect that when I look at Mac Jones in a vacuum, when I isolate him, I, I, I see a second or third round guy. So where does this come from and how does this particular fit work? Well, I mean, I think it comes from positional need. I think it comes from Mac. You could almost feel the Mac Jones buzz begin that Wednesday of the senior bowl week. Now we weren't down there. We were watching the film, but you know, teams look at that Tuesday as the baseline day and Wednesday is the day to really figure out, okay, can they take the coach in? Will they be able to be developed? He wasn't the best quarterback down there Tuesday at all. I mean, I thought Jamie Newman was perhaps the best quarterback down there on Tuesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that's right. And then Wednesday, Mac Jones was the best QB down there. You could tell almost overnight on the timeline, conversations everywhere. It was like, okay, now he's in first round contention. And I, I, cause he went into senior bowl week, like as a day two guy. So I think the fact that he showed that on Wednesday gave teams the belief that, look, there's something here. He could take to coaching. He could take to developmental needs and we can put something together around him. He's not going to be the guy that's going to transcend offenses, the guy that you win games because of, but he can be a guy you win games with. And that's perhaps worthy of a mid first round pick given the need at the position. You know, I never really bought into the QB Mac Jones at three at kind of hype that was, I was always, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. So now he comes off in the middle of the first round, which is probably a reasonable place for him in this draft. The thing with the the Brady fit, I mean, the Jones fit, a lot of people say, look, it's the Brady offense. He wasn't quite running that at Alabama. It was a lot of RPO type stuff. He had more RPOs than any draftable quarterback in any quarterback in this class. Had more RPOs, had more pre-snap motion. He benefited from, I mean, I'm kind of surprised Sarkeesian didn't give him their NFL job out of last year because – that was yeah, a lot good, of this stuff. That was as good a steamed up college passing game as I have ever seen in my life. Take Smith and Waddle out of it, and they've got other guys who were going to come in next year just to freak us all out. Um, the extent to which he was schemed up, and you know, Josh McDaniels can scheme a guy up, duh. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's there's going to have to be a lot of pre snap motion, a lot of pre snap movement. Um, you know, that Patriots offense traditionally. You know, prior to last season, when obviously they went in a completely different direction to the passing game, it was more vertical based. It was more, you know, two receiver concepts, mirrored concepts. You know, you look at the old Patriots playbooks, a lot of, you know, four or five receiver concepts, multiple option routes, really an emphasis on yardage after the catch, quick reads, quick throws, quick decisions. Like, there, there's an interesting way to look at this. Uh, I was talking to somebody uh, over at SIS, Bryce Rosser, last night about because uh, he's already started looking at the next crop of quarterbacks, and he's looking at whether the RPO game is really stripping out the ability of young quarterbacks to run quick game. You know, because when you're not reading the concept, you just might might be reading the guy or doing a box mm-hmm. count or something. It's stripping away the you know 
mental acuity to run those quick game concepts. And if New England's going to base their offense on that, as they traditionally did under Tom Brady, and they're expecting Mac Jones to be ready for that, they might be surprised because if so much of it was RPO based, that he was running out of, out of Alabama, and like you said, the numbers back it up, how will how quickly will he sort of acclimate to that kind of system where, you know, you're running Haas Juke and you're making three reads and within the blink of an eye, and we all know Tom Brady would get the ball out in 2.5 seconds or less. Like th- there's going to be a developmental curve there. Do I think that New England has put into place a, a supported structure around the quarterback position where Jones could be effective? I do. You know, you look at some of the players that they added via free agency. You look at that offensive line that I think is still a very good, perhaps potentially great offensive line. Like the playmakers and the protection pieces seem to be there. Now it's a matter of him sort of figuring out the playbook side of it. Uh, well, this is going to lead us into Justin Fields, who went to the Bears at 11. Bears traded up for probably their best quarterback, <laughs> tools-wise, since Sid Luckman. Um, QB curse since the end of World War II. That's nasty. Yeah. Um, we talk about option routes and, and you and I've discussed this. We talk about Justin Fields as a slow processor. And really when you go into it and you're the one who shared the Ohio state playbook with me, where there are you know, these option routes where he has to wait for it to develop. Right. He, he can't throw it. You know, if you want him to throw quicker, he can't because this guy's running, you know, a, a 17 yard slant and he's waiting for the safety to break this way or that, uh, you know, that, that takes, 3.2 seconds. It doesn't take 2.4. Sorry. So if, you know, and Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, uh, Nelson Aguilar, who's a really underrated deep slot guy, um, similar numbers to Tyree Kill last year, believe it or not. So they, if, if Matt Jones went into the Patriots offense with last year's targets, I would say there is no chance. Right. He's, he's dead before he starts. Um, and most of that is not his fault. But when we look at fields, um, and we go into the Chicago thing. I mean, this it's, you know, heavy RPO, heavy um, motion. Mitchell Trubisky, by the way, last year had the sixth best quarterback rating with three snap motions, seven touchdowns, one interception. Uh, speaking of Bryce and SIS, SIS put motion in their database finally. And I'm how happy am I? Very happy. He's written four separate articles about pre snap motion. Yeah. Um, so he goes into uh, an RPO pre-snap motion. Why cross offense? How much of a natural fit is this? I think it's a great fit. I mean, I, I think Fields is a great fit. I thought Fields, you know, he was my QB two. Uh, I thought the discourse around Justin Fields was the most exhausted and infuriating part of this entire draft cycle because we went through what seems to be four different news cycles. First, it was the process, and then it was he doesn't love the game. Then it was the baseball throw in motion. Then it was the epilepsy. And it's like teams are just, you know, somebody out there is just, you know, trying as hard as they can to sort of tear this kid down. And every time I watched it, particularly this past 2020 season, I, I came away extremely impressed. You know, uh, I think yeah, the 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 last one in, first one out stuff. Yeah. There are things that are common to black quarterbacks. The baseball throwing motion was my favorite. It's like um, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Russell. Right. All these. And we, in a couple of years past, we seem to look <laughs> at baseball as almost a prerequisite for quarterback play because of the arm angles, the quick releases, off-platform throws. It's like if you're a shortstop turner than double play, you got to get the ball out quick. It's, you know, that's what Fields was. And so I, I don't get it. But, but back Wilson, to, By the way, did Zach Wilson play baseball? Because he plays like that. 
Yeah, I think he played baseball at some point. Like, I don't think it was like all the way through high school, like some of the other guys, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he played at some point. Certainly looks like it. I feel like we should touch on Zach Wilson pretty quickly because I was a lot higher on him than you were. Would you have taken yeah. Fields over Wilson? I would have. I probably would have too, but I think I, I think you would have taken him way over Wilson, whereas I would have been a little bit. You were talking yeah, about mean, process versus outcome with him. I mean, I kind of see. Yeah, because the thing, with, the thing with the thing with the thing with Wilson, a lot of people looked at the jump he made from his sophomore year to his junior year in terms of the production. Like, you know, you go back and look at the way too early mock drafts. Nobody had Zach Wilson in the first round. Like no. Zach Wilson was like an afterthought headed into. Oh, well, he season. was this year's Joe Burrow. Yeah. Where this who guy was, what the right? Who is you know 2017's Mitchell Trubisky? Like we're seeing it more and more. Quarterbacks sort of come out of nowhere. Well, let's not hang. Let's not hand that to him. <laughs> I mean, you know, nobody had Mitchell Trubisky at any early first round mocks, and here we are. Well, he hadn't started. He was a one right. starter. Right. The thing with Wilson is that jump in production was it. It was due in large part to the scheme. Mm-hmm. They started running a lot of the outside zone boot action, Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur mm-hmm. system type stuff where they're moving him artificially to one side of the field. They're, you know, setting up flood concepts for him to perhaps reach one side of the field, but with stuff over the middle to digs, curls, posts, and things like that. And the production was astronomical. And if you're going to be now running that offense, we've got a LaFleur brother as the incoming offensive coordinator. You think the scheme is an easy one-to-one fit. My concern with him though, was there were a lot of times that he would just force throws either to the boundary on those designs or over the top on those designs when you've got stuff in the middle of the field that's wide open digs. Oh, he's he's YOLO for days. He is YOLO yeah. for days. And I, I, mean, don't, I don't know if you can, quote, unquote, beat that out of him. I think that's just the way he's going to be. And, and the thing is, like, there was one example on that kind of design early against North Alabama where he hits the post and it's a great play, but it's into double coverage and the dig routes open the middle of the field. Yeah. And while that worked on a Saturday against North Alabama, does it work Sundays against Bill Belichick's Patriots defense? Like, I'm not sure it does. It might work against Bill Belichick's Patriots defense last year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I, I love the arm regression. Jordan Reed called it arm regression. I love it. He's, he's willing to take risks and make throws that many quarterbacks will shy away from. He had a throw on four verts against Texas State, where he flushes to the right. They're in a cover two. He's got the whole shot on the opposite side of the field. Not only does he see it, but he makes the throw and hits it for a touchdown. Like, not many other quarterbacks are even seeing that, let alone throwing it. The problem is an NFL safety in the middle of the field, or the too high safety of that side, probably jumps in and picks it off. So there are going to be moments where he's going to get burned. But I think it's part of the reason why we heard Mahomes' comparisons with Wilson is because Similar to Mahomes, Wilson had the vision and the audacity to make some of those throws. And everybody, myself included, who liked Mahomes coming out, said he's going to have to learn to be a bit more careful with throws like that. And at times he has been, at times he hasn't. I watched tape with Mahomes about a month before he was drafted. We went over the Texas game where he threw like eight interceptable passes. Um, And I said, I said, you you know, you're, I said, with all due respect, you know, you're going to have to cut that crap out. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah. I know this is not, this is not, he said, this is not the big 12 anymore again. Right. But yeah, Wilson, Wilson will run that same, uh, you know, that same crucible. One of them were a couple, I mean, guys that I barely, well, I watched Kyle Trask because I was watching Kyle Pitts and I was thinking to myself, boy, is it going to be good for Kyle Pitts when he has Matt Ryan throwing him deep, accurate balls instead of Kyle Trask's helium balls I mean, boy, 
you just wonder how much better Pitts is going to be when Kyle Trask is not throwing them close. The Buccaneers took Kyle Trask with the last pick of the second round, and I, I am mystified by that. This is a fourth to fifth round guy for me. What's interesting about Trask? Well, he, your, he was your QB8, right? I, yeah, I think that's where he was because I had the top five. Yeah, then Mond, Mills, Trask. Yeah. Eight. So you had Mond and Mills who were taken ahead of him. Round ahead of Kyle Trask. Yeah. Mond so, was taken. Well, actually, Mond was taken two picks after, and Mills was taken the pick after that. Uh, yeah. Vikings and Texans. It was like this little mini well, quarterback Texans, run. That, yeah. that was your first pick as a quarterback in the third round. Okay. Anyway, yeah. so your, your thoughts on Kyle Trask? Because. I went back and I looked at my way too early watch draft that I did last August. I got 13 players in the first round. I got one player into the right spot to the right team, Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville, which was a layup. I mean, everybody could have done that. The only other team player parent I got right was at 28. I said Tampa Bay would take Kyle Trask. And he felt the 64 Tampa Bay drafted him. Because – Pocket big arm, pocket big arm. Hello, yeah. I mean, that, that's it. And I, yeah, I get it. Now, interestingly enough, I don't think the arm is your typical Bruce Arians arm. Like, I, I think he's more an NFL sufficient than an NFL plus NFL good arm. That's so, by the way, that's a good that's a good point because he throws a lot of deep balls, but he's not a great deep ball thrower, and that's right. that's an, that's an important delineation. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if you watch him against Georgia, they, they ran a lot of switch concepts, post-wheel, switch verts, things like that. And he read those well, and he threw those with a touch. And a, a lot of the times he turns them into back shoulder throws, which gets you a good understanding of leverage. I do think he's probably more suited to quick game stuff because of the arm. You know, if you start seeing NFL windows, the arm limitation is going to be such where that's either going to have to be schemed or going to be busted open because he's not drilling in whole shots against NFL cover two looks and things like that. The interesting, similar to Mac Jones, he's like Mac Jones light in that he's not mobile. He's well, not going to move he makes the Mac time. Jones look like Michael Vick. He has yeah. no second reaction ability the, at all. The nice way that I tried to frame it was he at times seemed impervious to pressure, but I think that's more the fact that he just couldn't move. Like he would find creative ways to get the ball out of his hands shot put it two-handed shove passes whatever he had to do but he, he's not somebody that's going to let you play 11 on 11 um he's walking into a great situation though isn't that by the way what people said about philip rivers he's impervious to pressure it was kind of because he couldn't move and i know i don't want a good lord i don't want to compare him to philip rivers because right not. But, but no i mean that's exactly right but trask is walking into a great situation you know <laughs> learning from brady learning from arians learning from leftwich who's going to be a head coach i'd bet um, anytime, sometime soon, you know. So he gets, wasn't a mobile guy either. He would stand there and get the no. crap and make deep throws. Yeah, um, he won't have to play right away, obviously. And Tampa Bay was in a position where they could take a luxury pick on a quarterback, oh, you know, yeah. because they brought pretty much everybody back. I don't know how Jason Light did it, but he pretty much brought everybody back. They could take a flyer on a quarterback because maybe Brady does play another two years, but that gives you two years to work with Kyle Trask. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Give me a quick uh, Mon to the Vikings. That was interesting. Third round. And Davis Mills. Let's start with Davis Mills to the Texans with the uh, third pick in the third round. Because obviously with Deshaun Watson situation, they have yeah. uh, Tyrod Taylor down there. Uh, yeah, this, this had that, 11 starts. That, yeah. And he's got an injury history. Um, 
a pretty this, serious one. And, yeah, and I mean, from what I've the little I've seen, there's some there's some mechanical stuff to deal with here. Yeah, there's some mechanical stuff there. I mean, all you need to watch, all you need to watch with Davis Mills is the UCLA game because you will see the great, the good, the bad, and the hideously ugly in that in just that one game. My favorite um, place would leave. Yeah, I did a um, Matt Waldman and Dan Hab and I sat down and did a video on Davis Mills. It came out right before the draft. People can look that up. Um, it's on Matt's site. But there are some things that I think he can do well. There's a competitive toughness box, which he certainly checks. You see that at the UCLA game. They get they're up twenty to three. They suddenly are trailing thirty four to twenty because he's thrown three interceptions, one of which was a just absolute disastrous pick six. Uh, Tim Jenkins did a video on that, but um, you know he just simply could not read the coverage. Period. He didn't read the rotation right. Threw it right to the defender. But then he still battles back, and they win in overtime. And, and so he checks that sort of competitive toughness box. He's, he's going to need a lot of work. You know, Dan talked about, you know, Dan's been in these rooms with, you know, two different organizations. Yep. And he talked about how, look, if we were going to draft him, he would want to go to his offensive coordinator and his quarterback coach and say, okay, he turns what seems to be every sort of deep throw into a back shoulder throw, when, even when he doesn't need to. Is there a mechanical issue here? Is there a read and progression issue here? Is there just a structural limitation to his game? And if these are actual problems, can you fix them and how quickly will it take? The fact that they drafted Davis Mills where they did tells me that, you know, if their new general manager, you know, coming from New England, did that same exercise, their coaches probably think they can coach this out of them relatively quickly. You know, because I think the elephant in the room is this. This is a Deshaun Watson situation now. Now, yeah. This was a pick that I think was made that we might not have Deshaun Watson for 2021, and who knows beyond that. I, and without Deshaun Watson, maybe even with Deshaun Watson, they probably have the worst roster in the NFL. Yeah, and so you're in full rebuild mode, and you've got to, you know, you've they're taken not a rebuild mode. They're in kingdom implosion mode. Yeah, I saw you tweet that out. Yeah, this is that's like, where they're at. This is as bad a situation as I've seen. And it's been created over, you know, Bill O'Brien and all the stupid trades. And then, you know, this alienating JJ Watt. I just, I don't know. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you more about Jamie Newman. The Eagles did take him. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that Wake Forest's offense. I remember this made it really easy. It was hard for him. At times, it was simultaneously the most quarterback friendly, quarterback friend, unfriendly offense I have ever seen because <laughs> They're doing all the RPO stuff, which, which you know, by the way, sounds a lot like Seattle. Right. But it's, it's, it's this way in a different way because they'll do the same RPO stuff, mesh point, you know, five-step glance route, you know, hitch tag slants, whatever. But they're asking him to incorporate this move in mesh. So he puts the ball in the running back's belly and the two of them walk together in tandem towards the line of scrimmage. And then he has to pull late and throw. So they basically are artificially manufacturing pressure on him because it's one thing if you're doing that and pulling and throwing that RPO glance seven yards deep in the pocket, five yards deep in the pocket, when you're two yards deep, a yard deep, right behind the center's butt, you've got traffic in your face now. And so I, it was just a tough offense to sort of decipher and then project a player out of, which is why I think we all would have loved to have seen him play this year at Georgia. Now yeah. he opted out and, you know, we understand why he opted out. Um, but that offense really did him no favors while it was still trying to do him favors. There were other route concepts where they literally built in pump fakes. Like 
Okay, you're throwing posts in the middle of the field, but you're pumping to the running back on the swing route out of the backfield to try to get that safety to move, and then you throw the post. This is the concept, pump, then throw. Like, they would do stuff like this. I'm doing my so they, exercises now. What? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was – I think it was against Boston College. There was a play where they just ran that like two or three different times, and they no, hit on it a couple of times. You did go to the Eagles, by the way. You don't think Nick Sirianni is going to do that? Probably not. I mean, Sirianni's going to be, be doing creative stuff anyway. I mean, obviously, you expect a lot of shallows, a lot of mesh, a lot of, you know, your traditional West Coast slash air raid hybrid type stuff that we see a lot of teams do. Um, you know, obviously, with, with Devonta Smith in the fold now, they can do pretty much whatever they want with him. He's a you know, very complete wide receiver. Uh, but, you know, they're obviously going to try to build around Hertz. That seems to be the game plan. Um but having that sort of developmental flyer type of acquisition in Jamie Newman, I think makes some sense for the Eagles. Yep. Uh, they also got, and I'll segue into my guys, and then I want you to give me your guys. They got Kenneth Gainwell in the fifth round, uh, who reminded me of Austin Eckler. I believe Sirianni worked with Eckler in, back when it was San Diego. Yep. Um, fifth round steal who brought Eckler to mind as a caterwauling running back with great receiving ability. Um that that that's just that's one of the guys. But I wanted to go over. These are the guys who were selected second round or lower. That I just I you know my ears perked up. Uh, and with some of these guys, I had extensive notes. With Javante Williams to the Broncos in the second round, I just put Javante Williams. Boom. Yeah, that's really all you need to know. Third running back taken in this class. I don't know why. Um, Najee Harris. I get that the Steelers needed a back who could do everything, and I think Najee Harris does everything well and kind of nothing spectacularly. When your running back situation is that bad, okay, fine. Uh, Travis Etienne, one pick leader of the Jaguars. I mean, I assume Trevor was in the room for that. I get it. They're going to, you know, flare him out. What they're going to do with him, I think, is motion to the slot. The Sean Payton, Reggie Bush, Alvin Kamara thing. And Etienne can do that all day. I'm telling you guys, I am literally banging the table. Javante Williams would be the best running back in this class. Right now, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, he's Marshawn bleeping Lynch. He is Nick bleeping Chubb, and you guys blew it, and he's going to make you pay for it. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, I, I really thought he was going to go to Atlanta. Uh, I mean, I got to, you know. I'll, yeah, that would have been about, a, That would have been it. Because he, I mean, he's not as big as Derrick Henry, but he. But it's a he, similar play he style. that chaos. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have thought that would have been, and so I was interested. I when everywhere, I, I can't. This might have been the, just. I, I get emotional. I get angry. Like this is my probably my favorite player in this entire draft class. Yeah, Monte Williams. Ugh. Yeah, there are a lot of people that you know thought he was RB one. You know, like you, and so for the Broncos, the Broncos, I think just had a really good draft. The big oh, question well, they is have a, yeah, I, I'll tell the you quarterback they part. They had another one of my guys, uh, Jamar Johnson safety. Uh, yep. I believe Denver stole this guy in the fifth round. His tackling is really bad. His tackling is really bad. His tackling is like a three round drop bad. Right. Um, but you can clean that up. What you can't really create. And the interesting thing about safeties in this class, and it's why I believe no safety went in the first round. There is not, an obvious deep third eraser like an Ed Reader and Earl Thomas or you know one of those guys. Yeah. You have to project it. You have to do what the Steelers do with Minka Fitzpatrick, where Minka was the multi-guy at Alabama. He was a multi-guy in Miami. Steelers trade for him, what, two games into the 20 it, anyway, they say we're going to train him to free safety. And yeah. that's what they did. And he became a top five deep safety. 
I think Jamar Johnson has the best deep third characteristics in this class. He picked off Justin Fields twice. And one of the picks, I believe it was twice, but the pick where he sort of, he was in the deep post and sort of moved away, gave Fields what he thought was an opening. And it wasn't just the athletic traits to come back. He has an incredible recovery speed, great quickness, but he had the acuity to understand, you know, the on-field acumen to understand. I'm going to bait this guy. I'm going to bait the second best quarterback in this draft class. And he did it. Um, Jamar Johnson, you know, I'm, I'm sure Vic Fangio looked at his coverage skills and went, that's a first round guy. Looked at his tackling and went, oh boy, where's the mailbox? Yeah. But he could be special. Um, Asante Samuel Jr., Los Angeles Chargers, cover six all day. Brandon Steele loves to show you a generic two high shell. Runs all kinds of coverage out of that. Samuel's a perfect guy for that with his zone awareness. Best cover six cornerback in this class. <coughs> uh, <clears throat> the Lions went in the trenches. With, uh, they got Amon Ross St. Brown, one receiver for Jared Goff. So they got one WR2 and a bunch of WR3s. Not good for a guy who needs his receivers to create, but I guess they're going to run the ball 400 times. But they got two defensive linemen who I think deployed correctly could be real steals. Ali McNeil from uh, yep, NC State. He was my IDL two behind Barmore, who went to New England because, of course, he did. Yeah. Um, as a third rounder who was caught in nose tackle no man's land at North Carolina State, but could be the next Grady Jarrett if you let him attack as a one gapper. And Grady Jarrett can do that from uh, one shade and from three and from four eye. Ali McNeil has those characteristics. He's what I called him is a power pig. And I'm, I'm not, that's not a detrimental thing. Warren Sapp, I think, invented that term um, for people like himself. And then uh, Levi Anwazarike, uh, for this guy, I, you know, 290 pounds about. And it was like when I watched the Houston Cougars put Ed Oliver at nose a lot. They put yeah. this guy at nose a lot. Like, no, I, I, you put him all over the place. He reminded me of Darnell Dockett. And they got him, what, in the second round? That, that you know, so the Lions got two guys there who, you know, who boy. Um, speaking of Zach Wilson, he now gets to run, uh, you know, bang eight stuff off a of play action to Elijah Moore. Hello. That's going to be fun. I, I, I absolutely love what the Jets did. I know, right? That That's going to be fun. Walker Little uh, from Stanford, Jaguars got him, I believe, in the second round. Dropped to the second round, yeah, because there's precious little tape on him over the last two years due to injury and opt-out. But I'll say this. Penny Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Christian Derrissaw, I don't care. <coughs> Pure pass set, pass protection. Walker Little is the best pass-protecting tackle in this class. If you can stay healthy, that is robbery because you put him on your left side, and if, he, if Walker Little is controlling the arc – and you get into his kitchen and he latches onto you, you're done. Yep. That's it. Uh, Creed Humphrey, center for the Chiefs. And you go back to last year, the Kalechi Assembly signings. Right. He me at the Chiefs wanted to run more Gat Paul ass whooping stuff as opposed to zone, you know, whatever. <laughs> now they trade for Orlando Brown from the Ravens, who ran more, you know, Gat Paul wham than anyone else and did it better than anyone else. They select Humphrey from Oklahoma in the second round. Over three seasons in Oklahoma per SIS, Humphrey blocked gap 48% of the time and helped allow 6.9 rushing yards per carry to his gap. 
And it's one of the reasons I had Ramondre Stevenson kind of ranked lower than some people because he was, yeah, okay, I guess he's a decent power back at 230, but he was running through semi-truck gaps. Yeah. And Humphrey had a lot to do with that. I think Humphrey is another piece in, like, the thing I'm most fascinated to see when the 2021 NFL season starts is Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. But in my top five things, and, and now I just invented a listicle in my head, uh, like the top whatever things I'm looking most forward to, what Kansas City's offensive line is going to do, because I think it's going to be very different. And I think you could see a lot of the same, <coughs> what's counter bash the Ravens used to do with uh, yeah. Mark. Well, yep. How about counter bash with Mahomes? That'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, they could certainly do it. Um, I don't know how many times Andy Reid would call that a game um, with Mahomes, but you do it a couple of times and put it in the mind of the def- defensive coordinators, not just that week, but down the road. Like, we're, we're going to do stuff like this. So, yeah, I, I like the Creed Humphrey pick. Um, you know, another player that we all thought was a first-rounder, at least when the season started, maybe gets pushed down because of positional value. But I think that's a great pick for them. Trevon Morig, safety, Las Vegas Raiders. He was my, he was my S1. I was surprised he fell. <laughs> well, this was interesting because the Raiders got slammed, and justifiably so, for the Alex Leatherwood pick with 17th overall. He was my OT10. Yeah. Um, but And then they, they get the first-round talent in the second round with Mayrig, who could play multiple positions. And he, to me, is, excuse me, the most obvious fit if you want that Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he did all this stuff in college. You can put him at free, and he has all the attributes to do this. Well, Gus Bradley, I mean, what do we know about Gus Bradley? It's single high zone, yep. damn day, 75% of the time, traditionally. Um, I, I think he can be that guy. Amari Rogers, uh, f- receiver from Clemson, Green Bay Packers, reminded me of a quicker Golden Tate. Um, he's not Jalen Waddle, but he has the ability to house pretty much anything. And bonus. You have the A Rogers, and he, if he wears number twelve down the road, you can keep your jerseys. Yeah, so, you know he, he, that that jersey number might be free in the next couple of weeks. Who knows? Like, uh, so those are my guys. Who are some of yours? Um, Michael Carter, running yeah. back from UNC. I mean, because this fits again into what we were talking about with the Jets. Because now, look, we know they're going to do outside zone, wide zone. Michael Carter, he's a perfect fit for that kind of stuff. Very similar, I think, to James White 2.0, but I think he gives you more as a ball carrier. Well, he had more runs of 15 or more yards than any other back in the NCAA last year, and he broke more tackles than you would think for his size. I had kind of a Clyde Edwards Hilaire hit on him. Yeah. And so now, you you know, you add him, so you've got that sort of running back component to it. You've added Corey Davis and free agency. You did have Denzel Mims. They're your two boundary guys. And so you start putting together, okay, outside zone left, boot right. You've got Davis on a post from the backside. You've got, you know, Mims either on a vert or vert comeback read. And then you've got Elijah Moore crossing on that over route from left to right. And now you've got that sort of flood with a backside throw, slam the tight end, release him to the flat. They'll run that 50 times a game. They might run it 50 times a game, and they've got the personnel to do it. I absolutely sort of love that fit. Uh, Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland Browns, my goodness. I've had so many people already tell me uh, they're going to the Super Bowl. I had Jeff Risden. Um, I was teasing him in the DMs the other day. You're going to get to cover a Super Bowl because I love this draft. And Newsom, I think, was – I don't want to say it was a surprise, 
cornerback pick for them, but I understand why he fits. He was a first round corner, but to then get JOK in the second, dude, I, you I know, probably they, got him, they got him 52nd overall. I mocked him at 20 to them in my final at 26. I mocked him to them at 26 every single time. And every single yeah. time I did that, Browns fans were like, this is bad. They're not going to draft a linebacker early. He's not a linebacker. He's a defensive player. And, you know, I, I theorized when we did our draft, you know, draft grades, um, they could get him into that sort of third safety role, even that Iowa state defense with that Joker safety, you know, it's a hybrid safety linebacker. You could put him in that role. You could put him as an overhand defender. You could just use him as a matchup piece. You could probably put him up well and let him be like a stack off ball. Well, because he's athletic enough. They could do so much with him. Didn't you compare him to Fred Warner? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did. Cause you did the top 11 linebackers. Right? Yeah. You know, and it, it's similar because a lot of the stuff that was said about, you know, JOK was said about water when he was coming out. Like he's more of a slot overhand. Like wh- where do you find him? You just find a put, put him on the field, like get him involved. Like don't overthink it. And then to get Schwartz, the, the Auburn receiver where they did, I really sort of like that pick for them. Um, other teams that I liked. Well, we touched on Denver. You know, oh well, one one more for the Browns. Demetric Felton, UCLA. They got yeah, him. I mean, he tested. Now, so they're characterizing him as a wide receiver on NFL.com. I think he's both. And it, we, you talked about James White. Felton reminded me run when I did the top of running backs. My comp for him was James White. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. That's um, a sneaky good pick. Because you already have Felton Hunt, Hunt, and this guy can come in and you know run your slot. Um, it was Tennessee. Getting Caleb Farley where they did. Oh, yeah. And I know he slid because of the back injury, but to get a guy that pretty much at least at times looked like CB1 with his recovery skills and the fact he's so new to the position, to get him where they did I thought was great. Then they got one of my favorite players that I loved watching, you know, Elijah Molden at 100. I was just going to say they were so bad. They might have been the worst slot team in the NFL last year. Well, why don't you go get the best slot defender in the NCAA over the last two seasons? Yeah. And now, look, he tested poorly, although he said on Twitter recently that there was a reason for that. Just sort of some weird sort of nebulous type of comment, but maybe he wasn't feeling well. Who knows? Uh, He's undersized, like 29 and a half inch arms, but love the way he plays the game. I absolutely love the way he plays the game. Um, Washington used him at safety near the end of the season. They actually used him at safety against Davis Mills, and he didn't look lost which I think, you know, it sounds like a bad, you know, thing to say about a player, but to be playing your entire college career in the slot and then move to safety from one of your final games and to not look lost out there and to hold your own, I thought was pretty impressive. And so I loved Elijah Molden when they drafted him. I compared him to Jimmy Ward. Yeah. I've seen comparisons to Tyron Matthew and I, I mean, that's, that's lofty. Um, Matthew is the best free safety and slot defender in the NFL. He's the only player I can say is the best, player in the NFL at two different positions. So stop it. Yeah. But, and, and he played what? Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. hundred and okay. Through four seasons, he played a uh, 1,158 snaps in the slot, 68 at free safety, 228 in the box, 64 at corner, 40 snaps along the defensive line. And against passes 20 or more air yards in 2020, you'll have five completions on 13 targets for no touchdowns with two forced incompletions. And he's a guy, I, I think I mocked him to the Patriots. I had the Patriots trading down uh, with the Ravens, and I had them taking Molden in the first because he's such a good field reader. 
He's yeah. such a good run your defense guy. Yeah. And, you know, I absolutely love that pick. Um, loved watching him. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Washington. Oh. Washington. They got, they got an A-plus from you, buddy. I loved him. I mean, D- Davis, I mean, I could see why Davis was the linebacker they went for. Um, there's developmental upside, and he's a player that, look, if you pass on him, you're probably going to regret it if he ends up panning out. So I understand why they went in that direction. Kosby is so athletic. Like such an athletic tackle, huge fan of his. But what really sort of set this one apart with me was DME Brown in the third round, who was one of my favorite receivers to watch. Because yeah. now you look at Curtis Samuel in the slot, Terry McLaurin at the Z, Brown potentially at the X, although they can flip McLaurin and and Brown around, around a little bit and do different stuff with them, Z or X. Um, such a – the work rate, I know that's more of a, a soccer slash football term than NFL football – but he just stays working on every single route concept, every single design. Like he will c- run a curl route and come all the way back to the line of scrimmage if he has to, to try to get the football. I know there are questions about his hands. He had some drops. He had a drop against NC State on a. It was one of the, It was going to be a put the pen down moment because he had pressed a guy in press alignment across from him, beats him with a f- perfect release, separates on the go route. You're thinking this is it. This is the perfect X receiver moment, and then he drops the throw which would have been a touchdown. So there's some concern about it from a hand standpoint. Matt Harmon, who reception perception studies wide receivers perhaps more than anybody, he believes the drops are noisy, and I'll buy into that idea with DMA Brown. I think he'll get consistently get open. And if you're a defense going up against him, who do you double? Who do you rotate safeties towards? He's going to see a lot of single coverage as a rookie, so I think he's going to be in a great position to benefit. Janine Davis um... – the first thing I thought when I when they when they took the football team took him, I thought, okay, I need to go back and rewatch. And I thought, well, okay, Ron Rivera has experience with another linebacker with the last name Davis, and I'm yeah. seeing a lot of similarities to Thomas Davis. And this is a team, Washington ranked third in defensive DVOA last year behind the Steelers and the Saints. They got maybe the best free agent signing in William Jackson the third. They got five first round picks on their defensive line. The only thing they needed was a move backer, and yep. they got one. This could yep. be the best defense in the NFL next year. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick does good YOLO instead of bad YOLO, they could go on a playoff run. They're they're for real now. Yep, they absolutely are. Um, I, I would, you know, if you're starting to see those, you know, preseason over unders on teams, and you do so responsibly, hey. look at Washington in the over. Yep. Uh, yeah. Cosme, I think I had him as my OT4. I think he needs, and I'm not disparaging the Texas coaching staff. I don't know anything. I think he needs more technical coaching than any other tackle in this class, but the athletic upside is freakish. And I compared him to Colton Miller, who was awful his first two years, and then the light. Yep. Yep. And that's who he could be. Yeah. I mean, Kentley Platt at Bathball on Twitter <laughs> does the relative athletic scoring. Cosby was the second graded. Offensive tackle prospects since 1987. Who was the first? Tony Mandarich. No. Yeah. Gosh. So, so it it sounds good until you mention who he was the one guy that beat him out. That's like, well, but Mandarich. I mean, again? that was you know that was an entirely different. There situation. was other stuff going on. Yeah. 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 He's he's super athletic. I thought he was going to go to Baltimore because all the stuff that they do, movement, pulls, leads, stuff like that. He yeah. was going to be the Orlando Brownlee replacement, but and, for Washington uh, to get him is great. Washington's projected starting left tackle is Jerron Christian, so they might want to get Cosme up to speed pretty quickly. There. Yeah, yeah, he. I mean, he. 
I wouldn't say a Joe Staley type, but kind of that when I, when I compare, uh, you know, Cosby to Joe Staley, I don't mean he's going to be Joe Staley in his peak, but that athletic move guy who just needs some, or a Nate Solder who got it for a while and then lost it. Uh, right. That kind of thing. That sort of deal. Um, any other draft classes that really stood out to you? Good. Well, let's talk about like the, the draft classes you really didn't like. Okay. Seattle. Now, <laughs> we talked about how we, we don't even know if we can talk about Seattle's draft classes anymore because first of all, they're gonna take guys that you haven't watched yet. Uh and their their concept of positional value is more whack than anyone except the Raiders. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it in the moment. Seattle does what they do. Um there's a way that this could be a very good draft class because you talked about Dwayne Eskridge, the Western Michigan receiver. I had in my notes when I watched him, hitches shouldn't be home runs. He would turn hitch routes into touchdowns, that 4-3 breakaway speed, somebody that could contribute on special teams immediately. And if you see Seattle doing a lot of 11 personnel stuff with him in the slot, Lockett at the Z, Metcalf at the X, that could certainly work. But as you pointed out to me, they'll throw two hitches to him a game because they'll throw 5, 10, 15 passes a game. I mean, this is what Seattle's done. And it doesn't Trey Brown, matter, you can blame Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel all you want. This comes from the top. Yeah. The new guy yeah. is going to change that. Yeah. This is the way it is. Trey Brown is a great slot corner, um, but he's but a slot corner. put him outside. They've already, said, gonna, him outside. they've already said they're putting him outside? Yep. Okay. So there's that. And still foresight. Is, it's a really interesting change in philosophy. They – are now apparently married to the idea that shorter cornerbacks are good. Interesting. We'll see. That's me all of a sudden having a bunch of air supply playlists on Spotify, but uh, Hey, I'm glad you said air supply, not Toto. I was going to have to leave. Oh no, 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 no. I'm a, I'm a guitar player. I'm a Steve. <laughs> Stone Forsyth, 208. A lot of people, Brandon Thornton loved Stone Forsyth. And if yeah. Brandon loves an offensive tackle, like I'm going to believe it. So yeah. we pay attention to that. And if you watch him, Against Georgia, he basically ate OZ's Ojolari's lunch. Like, just ate him up. Now, part of that was probably due to the fact that Aziz hasn't hit a counter move to save his life. And every pass rep idea he has is, I'm going to beat you to the outside. Um, so it might be more, uh, you know, referendum on Aziz Ojolari and why he perhaps fell that stowed Forsyth. But if this hits, like, this could be a great draft. You turn Trey Brown into an outside corner and he starts and he plays well. Dwayne Eskridge gives you that, like, explosiveness out of the slot and suddenly you throw the ball more out of 11 personnel. And if they develop Stone Forsyth, this could be a great draft. But it's just – it's such a Seattle draft because Dwayne Eskridge is an older Mac slot corner that isn't going to see the kind of defenses on Sundays that he saw on, on Saturdays. Slot receiver, you mean? Slot receiver, yeah. Although he did play quarter, so – Maybe they move him to corner because they drafted a guy in the fifth round who used to play receiver and switched to corner, and that worked out pretty well. But we're not going to go into that. No, we're not going to go. There's one sure. And hey, he might come back. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Seattle was an interesting one. Um, The Raiders, I mean, (laughs) Leatherwood at 17. I've had some people tell me that, you know, if they're worried about, you know, Darisaw and, you know, he sort of slipped a tiny bit. you know, Leatherwood, if he's healthy, could be okay. So, all right, fine. But Malcolm Coons at 79. The, uh, hey, he was a pass rusher who went to Buffalo. So, we're using next Khalil Mack. I mean, 
I am holding in my hand Arif Hassan's consensus big board. And did it actually was, did the Raiders kill it? Does it even exist anymore? He was the first player taken on page five. Like he was 209 overall or 205 or something like that. And they took him 79. So as I wrote in our grades through the Gruden Mayak era, there is the Raiders concept of positional value and there's everyone else's. Yeah, the Raiders. They make Seattle look sane. Yeah. In that regard. Those are two teams that sort of stuck out to me on the negative side, but I know you've got some down in the state of Texas you want to talk about. I am never going to be invited to Texas again, and I very much enjoy Houston, and I very much enjoy Austin, and I've had a nice time in Dallas, but uh, okay. Let's start with the Cowboys. If you run seven linebackers on the field, what do we call it? Like a farthing defense? Because I know we yeah. have nine dollars is a farthing defense. I mean, yeah. I get Micah Parsons with the 12th overall pick, and I get that he's not a traditional linebacker, and he can rush the passer, and I, you know, okay. Um, Kelvin Joseph in the second round? Yeah. I know they needed and a corner. By the way, he wound up in Kentucky after transferring from LSU following a suspension. Yeah. Michael Parsons, off-field issues. Josh Ball in the fourth round. This is not from a football perspective. I'm not even talking about this, but this made me sick. Ball is a developmental guy. The fourth round is about retake players like that. He wound up at Marshall after getting kicked out of the Florida State football program after a frightening history of being violence. 11 different incidents. Yeesh. Stephen Jones said of this pick, we, uh, you know, we looked into it deeply and we believe that the young man is this. We believe that the young man is that. And Jerry Jones, second chances. And this is like, oh, you say the same crap about Greg Hardy. Yeah. Uh, it was either Jerry or Stephen Jones who said, we appreciate how the young man came back from adversity. Well, if they appreciate coming back from adversity, shouldn't they have drafted Josh Ball's girlfriend? Because she's yeah. the one who. Okay, I'm That's trying not to throw F one heck of a time, but I'm phrase. I don't really even want to get into the football stuff here. I'm just I'm kind of beside myself with this. So Jabril Cox, nice pick. Uh yeah. Osa from UCLA, nice addition. But man, we have got to get better with this, and we've got to get better in the media where people are, you know, NFL network right after the pick. Oh, well, he had issues. Um, people are saying, well, you just have to be comfortable with his past. We have to be more specific about these things. Yeah. We, have to describe, we cannot normalize dating violence or domestic violence or violence against women, whatever you call it. We can't normalize it with soft phrases. No. Normalization in the media is what got us into a very large mess from 2016 to 2020 that we're still trying to clean up. Cut this shit out. Yep. Okay, rant Absolutely. over but and the Texans, I mean, yeah, Davis Mills. Uh, they traded up for Nico Collins. You want to take? You want to talk about Nico Collins? I I know there are people that like Nico Collins. I didn't see it at all. He's what I saw was somebody that, and, and maybe it was a function the the order in which you watch players can sometimes skew your evaluation of them. Yes, like every running back I watched after Javante Williams was like the fact that I heard Jimmy Hendricks before Eric Clapton, so Eric Clapton never did it for me. Right. I watched DME Brown and then I watched Nico Collins and I watched oh. DME Brown <laughs> work his butt off to get open. And I watched Nico Collins run his curl, turn around if the ball's not there. All right, I'm done. 
Like they were two just completely different players in my mind. One I would be willing to ban the table for early in the draft. The other, like, if he falls to you, fine, whatever. And since he sort of fell to them, like, okay, I, I third round pick 89. Um, some people thought he might be going in the second round. I guess I'm okay with it. But I just was not a fan of Nico Collins at all. And I know he had um, some people that sort of banged the table for him. Brevin Jordan, like, I, I I sort of saw a lot of Hunter Henry, Hunter Bryant, excuse me, um, in Brevin Jordan. Um, yeah. Undersized guy. Years up there. What? Hunter Henry? Yeah, no, not Hunter uh, Hunter Bryant. Last year's tight end that people thought maybe would get into the second or third round. He was just caught. He wasn't even drafted. He was just released by the Detroit Lions. And so I, I think there's a potential fear here that, like, if you're that sort of move H-back type guy as a tight end in college, there's really not a home for you in the NFL because, you know, you might not be athletic enough. You might not be, you know, might not have the size. And so Jordan didn't test well, which was kind of strange because I thought he was better on film. I, I do like Garrett Wallow, uh, mostly because Emory Hunt likes Garrett Wallow. And when Emory talks about a player, again, we pay attention yeah. and we really like Garrett Wallace. So that makes sense. But they didn't have a ton of picks. They used one on Davis Mills when they have Deshaun Watson. And again, maybe that is an indictment of the Deshaun Watson situation, which could you know see him sidelined or on the commissioner's exemplist or who knows for how long. Maybe and the guy who season. used to be in, and the guy who used to be in charge hosed this up so bad you have no capital to go up and get a Justin Fields. You can't yeah, you're, you're just stuck. stuck. Nick Mysterio is screwed. I don't know why he took this job, but whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know why you take this job either. Same thing with the head coaching gig. Like, I don't know why you take it, yeah. but I guess you take it because it's an opportunity. But yeah, another one. Uh, yeah, another team. Not a lot of draft capital up top, and took a lot of, in my mind, transition or project players. Is the Rams? Uh, yeah, I gave them a C. Tutu Atwell. That's. Uh, who is he? Is he Tavon Austin? Is he, you know, is he more than a gadget guy? Six five nine, one fifty five. 155. I mean, I'm all about. He actually weighed, he weighed 149 at the combine medical recheck. Oh, boy. Now he posted a video last week of him stepping on a scale and it said 160. So maybe he's gaining weight, but then does he lose the speed? Does he lose the. Well, that's me after that, one trip to the brick pit. That's 11. Yeah. There, but you know. So yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't get the Atwell pick. I mean, anytime you get a chance to draft Ben Solak, because um, I'm pretty sure Ben Solak is about that size. Um, I, I don't know if you do that. Um, but look, like you said, they didn't have a ton of draft capital to start. They threw a bunch of bodies later in the I mean, Ernest draft. Jones from South Carolina is kind of a box guy. Don't they like yeah. backers better? Robert yeah. Rochelle from Central Arkansas – he got some buzz. I mean, he's a then they opted that, out. What I said is a speed freak with a lot of technical work to be done. I'll just go down the list. Fourth round yeah. defensive tackle, Bobby Brown from Texas A&M. Ton of variance between his best snaps and his worst, on and on. Uh, the Rams took a ton of de- developmental players in this draft with immediate needs at pressing positions. And here's where I kind of am with this, which may indicate a schism in the front office where this franchise is, playoff contender with a better quarterback than it had last year, and where this franchise thinks it is, either Super Bowl contender or sneaky rebuild. And I don't think you go get Matthew Stafford if it's sneaky rebuild. So no. I don't know if part of – and I, I, you never know if it's the coaching staff who thinks one thing and the, the, the scouting department thinks another. But I think there's a schism. When you take a bunch of developmental guys, well, didn't you go all in again 
So why are you taking developmental guys? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. Um, you know, maybe they think that the roster was good enough with the top flight guys that they have that they could sort of take some developmental flyers. And maybe they also are cognizant of the fact that maybe they're at the end of a window. They might have yeah. extended it a little bit with, with, with Matthew Stafford, but maybe it's a two, three year window and then they might have to start rebuilding. And they're trying to get ahead of that now with guys like Rochelle and, you know, Ben Skronek, the wide receiver from Notre Dame that are developmental type guys, but you get him in the when you, you when get him in you, the system. When you struggle to pronounce a receiver's name, I know he's developmental. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had my handy pronunciation guide somewhere. His name yeah. was on it. But let's he did a lot from, of that. Let's go, yeah, let's go from LA bad to LA good. Chargers, wow, wow. nailed it. How happy Chargers did a really Tonto good job right now. Left, okay, so they need to left tackle. They it, well, so Justin Herbert was highly pressured yep. last in his rookie season. They get Corey Lindsley, the best center in the NFL. That helps. And then at 13, Rashawn Slitter just falls into their laps. The last we saw of Rashawn Slater, he was beating the crap out of Chase Young, who was the reigning defensive NFL defensive rookie of the year. And now he just yep. get the blind side of the reigning defensive or offensive rookie of the year. Pretty nice transition. You get the aforementioned DeSante Samuel. Um, you did edge rushers for us. Tell me about Chris Rump the second, because I'm fast at six foot three, 244. Now, Brandon Staley runs a lot of Five, I mean, there's some three, three, five, but there's some five, two stuff where he could be like off the edge in a wide alignment. And that could get yep. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I was watching both the Duke edges, uh, Victor Duke Kenji and now Chris Rumpf, um, both of them I, I liked. Um, what's interesting about Rumpf, um, there is that sort of positional, like where are you going to put him? Is he going to be like an outside linebacker? But I think Staley has shown that conceptually he'll do different things. You could put him in an off ball. You could put him sort of in that wide nine alignment at times. Um, pretty explosive, changes directions well, um, puts together a decent pass rushing plan. Like I, I never saw a moment where I was like, he's got one move and sticks to it. Like he, he gives you some different things. Um, he can string some rushes, some moves together coming off the edge. Um you know, there were times when he struggled with snap anticipation, similar to Joseph Osai. Um, mm. He's more of a snap jumper than Osai is. Osai was sometimes late coming off the ball. Rump is a different thing. Sometimes he's, like, jumping off sides, so he'll have to clean that up. Uh, but I do like this pick, and I think a creative defensive guy like, you know, Brandon Staley is going to find a way to sort of make that work. Another pick I like for them, jo- Josh Palmer, the Tennessee wide receiver, yes. who I-, I thought was probably going to slide into – the third day, but was open all week long down at the senior bowl. And I think that was a situation where you scout the traits, not the system, not the player, not the surrounding situations, but the players around them. Um, that passing game at Tennessee was a bit iffy last year, but you see him at the senior bowl and he's just getting consistent separation from everybody. Um, so I think that's a great pick. Oh, and Hey Mark, you know what? Here's, here's something that's not surprising at all. and kind of boring. The Baltimore Ravens had a great draft. Stunner, right? And <laughs> They made one of my favorite picks overall. I would thought this was a guy that was going to go to the. I'm going to get before you say it, Tyler yep. Wallace. No, although I do like that pick, Ben Mason, mm. the fullback slash tight end guy from um, Michigan, who I thought I in my like mini mock before day three, I thought at 242 the Patriots were going to draft him because I thought, look, I, I thought, um, and I'm blanking on the fullback in Baltimore's name right now, Rashad Patrick Ricard. Yeah. I figured they wouldn't 
But if there was a place for Ben Mason, Baltimore was certainly on that list with all the 21 personnel stuff that they do, the two back stuff that they do. I think he's a sneaky good pick for them. Ben Cleveland is like just okay. the, the okay. mountain. But six foot six, three fifty-four, and not a fatty at all. No. This his weight well. Now imagine you're you're trying to defend power against the Ravens. And let's say Ben Cleveland is the left guard and Kevin Zeitler is the right guard and they're both pulling. I would want to go home. Yeah, that, that's a business decision. This man. is this is this is whoop ass. This is yeah. like this is uh like if if the Lombardi power sweep from the 60s took a lot of vitamins, that, yeah. that's gonna be nasty. Uh Sean Wade moved from slot to outside cornerback last season, didn't go well for him. And I had heard, I saw a couple of people project him as maybe a slot safety hybrid. And when I watched him, I thought, yeah. And who better, you know, to have, to have an undefined role as a cornerback or a, safe, a defensive back. And you're going to Wink Martindale's system. Yeah. And I think he'll figure it out for you. Um, oh, to fail away. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I look because zero sacks, kiss my, just stop it. With the, 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 the traits are there. The explosiveness is yeah. there. I mean, I think he's a perfect pick. He even did some stuff dropping into coverage underneath yes. and stuff like that. So you could do some, you know, very similar to Matthew Judon, who they use sometimes in a coverage role, get into the flat, let yes. them sort of play in space. He so, actually, the two guys they lost, he reminded me of a combination of Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. Um, yeah. Ngakwe gets effort sacks like very few other end play. And Judon, you can kind of move them all over the place. And Baltimore has a blitziest defense in the NFL over the last two years. And, oh, by the way, the Ravens, I'm bearing the lead here. They took Rashad Bateman with their first first-round pick. Bateman projects, and I – they haven't had a guy like this since Anquan Bolden, which, by the yeah, way, yeah. is the last time they won the Super Bowl. Just right. stand there and beat, beat the cornerback up and catch the ball. 50-50 um, balls to other guys are 80-20 balls to Bateman. And that's what I like about him. Um, and then Tylen Wallace, underrated burner who can excel in the slot. Love that pick. That's yeah. their, their offense gets interesting. And it, it, it gives Lamar some options in the middle of the field, which is where he struggles. And I think what I love about this from, from Baltimore's perspective is they seem to have realized that maybe they got some evaluations wrong. Uh, Marquise Brown, Devin DuVernay, you know, outside receiver, slot receiver, you know, they're not going to just keep forcing stuff. They have an opportunity. They identify an opportunity to add talent to the receiver position guys that perhaps can play an overlapping roles to those two guys, but they realize that, look, maybe we can upgrade. Um, you know, I, I like teams that in this day and age, don't just keep banging their head against the wall. You draft a quarterback and it's not working, but you keep running them out there. You move on from mistakes. I think smart organizations do that. And if that's indeed how the Ravens feel about Brown, about DeVernay, they got two pretty solid guys to come in and take their place. Uh, I will say, and I, all I was going to talk about is with the Packers is Aaron Rodgers. Um, Eric Stokes in the first round, I found that interesting. I think he's a great fit in that defense because, as I wrote, his aggressive matter, consistent coverage traits. He is a press you up and get nasty through the route guy. And they weren't going to get J.C. Horn, so get J.C. Horn light. That works for them. Amari Rogers, I love. How the heck did they get Kylan Hill in the seventh round? I have no idea. He was my RB4. He's like Javante Williams light. Like, did – are there off-field things I don't know about? Because that made no sense whatsoever. The, 
the, I think the only thing that really came up with him was the Mississippi flag. I think if you consider that to be a red flag, which in the NFL, obviously they do. Yeah. So that might be it. Yeah. To be more specific, he, uh, he was, he spoke out about the Mississippi flag and was apparently one of the reasons that they changed their flag. Yeah. But I mean, the, the team backed him up, the <laughs> coaching staff backed him up. Like, you know, uh, it shouldn't be a problem, but you know, you know, we know how NFL decision makers work. Somebody that might rock the locker room. Um, oh yeah. Might fall. Yeah. Like the, the, the winner of the locker room award who knelt and then got banned. Yeah. That, that guy. That guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolphins are a playoff team. Yeah, I think so. At this point, Jalen Waddle. I mean, holy crap. Uh, Jalen Phillips, Javon Howard. I mean, just now the one. And I want to your, your thoughts on Liam Eikenberg because he was my OT eleven. I and I've seen people who you know, hey, second round guy, OT four, OT five. When my opinion of a player diverges this much, I figure I'm missing something. What am I, mean, I, I th- because I think I'm, just I'm like, watching him just lunge and you know, people will say, well, if he's, you know, maybe he moves to guard because he's a compact this and he's, you know, in the phone booth that I don't know if he has the power to be a guard. I just saw him as an all over the place guy. I didn't like his tape at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the people like him think that there's some technical soundness there. Um, there's some mental like processing, diagnosed and things like that, picking up stunts and things like that, that he's done well. And so they look at him as a floor type player. Um, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of him either. I mean, but... floors in the basement. I just, yeah. uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and denigrate the kid for five minutes. I just, he was the one guy this year where, you know, even the people that didn't like him had him as maybe a, uh, a fourth rounder. I mean, I, if you're my 11th offensive tackle, you're almost a UDFA. Yeah. I mean, I just pulled up their roster on our lads. They've already got them listed as a guard. Um, you know, so yeah. not that our lads is the be all and end all, but maybe well, they no, are just going it, to kick him inside. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. Talk about Peyton Turner for a minute. Norland Saints took him 28th overall. That surprised a lot of people. It surprised a lot of people. I think it's a, a referendum on the edge class as a whole, because you are going to have to sacrifice something. Um, there wasn't a clear cut. Yeah. Like next year, Thibodeau, the Oregon kid. Like, I don't think anybody's going to say like, you know, there is a weakness to, or a hole to his game. Cause he's fantastic. Um, he was the only with, guy. Who, yeah. He was the only guy who made Elijah Miller Tucker. Like, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, but with Phillips, you had the medical history with Quiddy pay. It was, you know, maybe some of the production wasn't there as much as you would have liked with, you know, Odefe away. There was no production, the zero sacks with, you know, some of these other guys, they opted out or you just didn't have that like clean evaluation where it's like, okay, there, we, we, we don't have to sacrifice something with some of these guys. You either had to sacrifice on the medical side with the lack of production side with a whale. Again, we sort of dismissed that. And with Turner, everything was there except for the level of competition. I mean, he's coming out of Houston where he's going against BYU, who obviously was good this year and had a very good offensive line. Um, but then teams like Navy, but you watch those games and you can see, all right, there's a pass rushing plan here. There's an ability to counter tackles. There's an ability to use his hands, like watching him against Navy when they do so much flex bone stuff, mm-hmm. pullers, 
guards trying to roll into you. He's trying to get, they're trying to cut him on every single play. And he's got the ability to use those hands violently, drive the blocker, would be blocker into the turf, keep his ankles free, flow to the football, make disruptive plays. Like the traits and the talent is there. It's just, they had to sacrifice on, you know, level of competition. What's interesting about this and why I think it's a nice pick for them. You've got Cameron Jordan, you've got Marcus Davenport. And so you can move him around. You can kick him inside. You can kick one of those guys inside. You could have some really nasty sub packages, passing packages, third and seven defensive fronts where those three guys can just get after the quarterback. So I do like this pick. Um, I know it seemed early in a lot of people's minds. I know Adam Schefter tweeted out before the draft first round started that you might see him come into the first round. Maybe he knew this was coming, but I do like this pick. And I think there's certainly something to work with for, for all. Uh, and the Saints exercised Saints. Davenport's fifth-year option for 2022, which I didn't know if they do or not. So. Yeah. I uh, want to close with uh, – I mean, what else can you close with? Dave Gettleman traded down multiple times, and Dave Gettleman had a draft that you just can't argue with. What the hell? Cats and dogs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's interesting. I was talking to Ed Valentine, who runs Big Movie Over at SB Nation. We did a show last Friday after this, and they were – able to take advantage of the fact that teams wanted to move up. You know, Gettleman prior to the draft said, look, you know, we've explored trade. I've explored trading down before. I've never been able to find a, a partner, a, a team to work with. Well, when you add teams like New England and Washington and Chicago that seemed like they wanted to come up from the teens, they were able to sort of just let teams come to them. Gettleman didn't really have to do a ton of work. And so they got the framework for this deal in place. Now, what do they do? They go and get Kadarius Tony at 20. And I know that's a pick that's kind of people have wavered on. Um, can Jason get it? one of the more guys ahead of him, but that's just me. I can see why they did it. Yeah. I mean, Jason Garrett can figure out how to run bubble. He can figure out how to run orbit return and stuff like that. Like he could get manufactured touches for this kid and he can separate better than he was asked to do in that offense in Florida because they schemed so much stuff for him. But you watch him with the senior bowl, and he's just separated left and right. And so I, I think he's a better all-around receiver than perhaps we saw at Florida. To and, get and really, just to interrupt, and this is a quarterback thing, back to you, Mark. Um, the, part of the reason, I mean, they, they've said over and over since January, we need more weapons for Daniel Jones. Yeah. At a certain point, that the, the hidden structure of that statement is we need to find out if we have the right guy. And I think that's what this is. And what I love about this is they have now the future first and next year from Chicago. If they need to, if If they they need to put that together to get up, they can do it. And so they've given themselves the out next year because this is the put up or shut up year for Jones. This is year three. Bill Walsh finding the wooden edge. Thanks to you. I have it on my shelf over here. Bill Walsh famously said three years to figure it out. This is year three. And so, Do you know something about quarterbacks? I think so. Yeah. A little something. I mean, look, he had his misses too, right? Rick Meyer, We're not right? talk about Rick Meyer. That, that, but, that's that's the Sharon Van Halen that I just don't pay attention yeah. to. Yeah. Um, but then, look, we all know that the Giants needed edge too. To get his ease, to get him at 50, I think is a very good pick for them. And Aaron Patrick Robinson is going to know how to use yeah. him to maximize what he can do and, and sort of just what he can. Put him in a wide nine, let him rush from the outside yep. while he figures the rest of his stuff out. Yep. That's all you need to do because you've got guys on the interior that are going to be able to generate pressure. You can do some stuff. How about, how about well. this? How about Leonard Williams as uh, like a like a four-eye 
on the same side as Ojolari. Yeah. Yeah. Or they run that what I used to call the quotation mark defense, where you had Bennett and Averill on the same side. What if you do that? I can do that. Yeah. yeah. So Aaron Robinson, very good slot corner. Ellison Smith, the edge from Iowa, Northern Iowa, also gives him a depth option there. Look, I think Gettleman did a very good job. I, I think, you know, somebody that's gotten, you know, his share of um, arrows, you know, hurled his way, Saquon Barkley, two overall, Daniel Jones, because you liked him at the Senior Bowl. This was a very good draft for Gettleman. So we'll, we'll end with that weirdness. Uh, went over, but lots to talk about. Uh, Mark, as always, great stuff. And uh, we'll talk soon as we get into, well, who knows what, but who knows what? We got through this. Yep. Happy post draft, brother. We'll talk. Happy post draft, my friend. Talk soon, my buddy.